0: Today is found in Revelation chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Uh, We have come to the end of our sermon series, Ancestry.div. This is the last sermon in our series. We've been in this series now for over a year. Started it, uh, I believe, February 10th last year. And we have gone through the whole Bible looking at our story uh, as a people, as a covenant people of God, as a church. Uh, Looking at who we are, where we came from, uh, where we're going, and all the things that are important to us uh, as a people. All the blessings that God has given to us as a people. And so we come to the last uh, and final phase of that story now here in Revelation chapter 22 verses 1 through 5. Let's read that. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, this word. We thank you um, for a glimpse into glory. We thank you for the promises that we have in Jesus Christ that these things belong to us now. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today, uh, that you would remove any distractions from our midst so we could stay focused and attentive to your truth, uh, to the truth of the gospel. Uh, Let us apprehend it today by faith and hold to it and let it change us. And everything uh, that I say, let it be of you, and if it's not, let it fall away from your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh. Many times in the day in which we are living, we like to talk about the good old days, right? The way things used to be back in the day. This was so great back then, and that was so great back then. Um, you know, back in the day when men used to really be men. <clears throat> now sometimes you just don't ever know or you can't tell. Back in the day... Uh, when gas used to be 20 cents a gallon, those were the, the good old days, right? Or back in the day when we used to ride our uh, bicycles with no helmets and no handlebars and no brakes and sometimes no seats. You guys remember those days, right? Uh, we would jump our bikes into the water or over rocky ravines or into man-eating over man-eating alligator-filled pits uh, of water. I'll let some of that stuff may be reckless. I'll let your parents uh, sort that out for you later. <clears throat> back in the day when rap music used to be good, you guys don't remember that. <laughs> <clears throat> um, back in the day when we didn't sit in our houses and we would ride around all afternoon and. Uh, come in at the end of the day. If you wanted to know where we were, you just looked for the bikes, right? Those were the good old days, and we, we like to talk about how things were so great back then. And in our sermon today, we're going to see the blessings of what it's going to be like then in eternity. So we're going to flip it around a little bit in our sermon today. The name of our sermon is Then and Now, and so we're looking at how we experience some of the blessings that we will experience then, even now, uh, in the church today. So what are some of these things? The main overarching theme of the sermon, which is on the next slide, is that we are given access now to the blessings that we will experience then. So that is the main overarching theme of what we're going to talk about now. We're given access to the blessings now that we will experience then. And underneath that, on the next slide, we're going to be looking at three sub-points throughout the sermon, three of those things uh, in particular that we experience now. One, we've been given access to the river of life, the river of eternal life. Number two, we have been given access to the tree of life. And number three, we have been given access to the temple of life. Okay, so what has been happening in the book of Revelation since we left off last week? Uh, We saw the final judgment uh, taking place in our sermon last week, and today we are given a glimpse into the blessings of the eternal state. Uh, In in Revelation chapter 21, John sees a new heavens and a new earth uh, come into being, which I think is something that sort of progressively happens in between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. It becomes new uh, with his ascension, but it sort of progressively unfolds and gets better in between the first and second coming of Christ, and it reaches its consummation at his second coming, at the return. John then sees a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and he its it's a heavenly city, and he equates this city, interestingly enough, in chapter 21, with the bride of the Lamb with the wife of the Lamb. The city and uh, the uh, bride are uh, the same. The angel says to John, I'm going to show you the bride of the Lamb, and then he shows him a city. That's what he says. And then that is where we see this picture of this golden city with golden streets and pearly gates and all of the rest. And so the city is the church. God has been building a dwelling place for himself to Uh, dwell on earth, and it is made up of his people. Uh, Remember, we said at the beginning of this study and throughout, I think I've mentioned it a few times, that the main promise of God was that he was going to one day come again and dwell with his people, right? That's what we're looking forward to, God coming to dwell with his people. And in the original garden situation, it was that way. God dwelt with Adam and Eve, and they shared perfect fellowship. Uh, But whenever they fell, they were kicked out of the garden, and they were cut off from access to the tree of life, which we will talk about here in a moment. Uh, and we saw that God's plan, ever since then, God has sort of been at work in this global restoration effort to restore mankind to himself. That is what he's been doing. He wants to restore mankind back into fellowship With himself, and he's been doing that ever since the beginning in the Garden of Eden when he made that first promise that said that the seed of the woman would one day crush the serpent. You remember he clothes Adam and Eve uh, with these animal skins, right? So God is automatically, immediately, I guess is a better way to to put it, uh, he is immediately uh, working to bring his people back into fellowship with himself, and indeed he has been doing that throughout salvation history. We see that he does that first through the sacrificial system in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple and ultimately through Jesus Christ and the church where we receive the restoration, where we are restored to fellowship uh, with God. Well, friends, here in this text, we see that that restoration has come to its completion. We said that Jesus had been at work in this effort to restore uh, the church, uh, to restore uh, the world, uh, ever since the beginning of his ministry, and uh, he sent the Spirit on Pentecost to empower the church in order to do that work in the world. We looked at that in our sermon on uh, Pentecost. And Jesus and the work of the church in the world is sort of just the next phase in, in God's overall mission to restore mankind to himself. And here we see that that plan has come to its final stage of fruition, as it were. This is the end game. This is where it is all headed. God has built himself a dwelling place on earth among people, and they are indeed his people. And God is once again dwelling with his people in the person of Jesus Christ, where they experience fellowship with him and he with them in perfect unity and harmony forevermore. That is the restoration. It is complete at this point. Here in our passage today, we see that John zooms in on the eternal city, right down into uh, the middle of the thing. This is Main Street in glory, as it were, and what do we see? Well, we see that there is once again a garden in the middle of the thing, just as it was in the beginning. But around that garden is a city. Uh, This is to say that the people of God, uh, are the city these people of God are once again in it and surrounding it, and the throne of God is there, and Jesus is there, and His people are there, sharing intimate fellowship with Him without any hindrance, just as it was in the beginning. This is all symbolic language. The, the Book of Revelation is highly symbolic, and many of the things that we see here in our text are representative of other greater spiritual realities. So, you got to keep that in mind uh, when we're going through the text. Uh, so, we see a garden, we see a river, we see a tree and then we see a city around it which is uh, unfolds in chapter 21 there. Uh also in this uh city, uh in this temple, uh well in in the city there's no longer a a temple according to Revelation chapter 21 verse 22, God is the temple. Okay? And uh, and we and he is dwelling there with us and we are dwelling uh with him and in him and he in us. So what we have in the eternal state is the consummate Garden of Eden. What we have here is a glorified Garden of Eden, beautifully adorned with the people of God, worshiping Him and sharing perfect fellowship with Him and one another forever and ever. Now, before we get into the exposition of our text, I want to mention that the Eternal Garden City gives us a picture of, of what things are going to be like in the final state of all things. They sort of give us a snapshot of what it's going to be like then. But there is a sense in which we get to experience the blessings of the eternal state that we will have then, now, in an anticipatory way. Okay, What do I mean by that? Well, every time we gather together now, is he not with us? Does God not come to dwell with us now? He is with us in our midst, even now. And when we seek the kingdom of God first, and we are praying for the kingdom of God to come, it is indeed coming. We experience that now, on earth, in time, and in history. We experience right now forgiveness of sins. We experience right now the regeneration, the new birth. We are given new hearts right now we have access to God right now we have fellowship with God right now right here in this place so every time we gather together now these things are happening these things are all present but in an imperfect sense does that make sense <laughs> we've entered into it now but we will enter into it fully then okay so what we will do in each section here is we're going to we're going to look at uh, the way things will be in the final state and how that we are given a foretaste of those things now. So look at what it's going to be like then and then how we get a foretaste of those things now. And there are three things that I want to highlight today in our sermon, and that is the three things that I've mentioned, three things that are very similar, uh, three things that we find in the old Garden of Eden situation, but that we also find in the new Garden of Eden, but things are different in the new Garden of Eden. Uh, there is a tree... There's a river in the old Garden of Eden, as we've see, we, we seen, we just read the, the Genesis account. There is a tree and there is a temple, and I will talk more about that here shortly. Um, and as I said, keep in mind, this is a very highly symbolic book, so each one of the things we look at are representative of other things, other greater spiritual realities. So, let's start with the river. We read uh, back in verse 1a, the first part of verse one Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So here we have what is known as the uh, river of life, okay? Without water, you do not have life, right? Right? And in the old Garden of Eden, there was a river that flowed out to uh, the rest of the world, and that river split into four sections, and one of those rivers had uh, a land around it that were filled with all sorts of precious stones in it. And here we see again that there is a river surrounded by people who make up a city, and those people get their life from this river. Uh, the river is said to flow from the throne of God and of the Lamb, just as the Holy Spirit proceeds from God the Father and God the Son. And so the river is indicative of the Spirit. The river is representative of the Spirit that gives us life, that comes to us from God the Father and God the Son. He's, he proceeds from um, the Father and the Son. From the beginning, it was always this way. In the garden, you had a tabernacle. Uh, In the garden, you had a river. Uh, In the tabernacle, you had the basin of water that was representative of the river. In the temple, you had the waters of basin alongside the temple that represented the river, this river of life, the life of the Spirit. And Ezekiel prophesied in his, prophesied that later on, that that those basins would be spilled over as it were, and the water would flow out into all the world, and the river would heal everything that it touched. And here we see that that has come in, uh, has come to a final reality. The river, which represents the eternal life of God, the Holy Spirit, is flowing through the city of the people who have been given eternal life. You see? The river represents the Spirit who gives us life. Now, do we have access to the Spirit today? Yes, we do, by way of Jesus Christ. So what are some of the blessings that we experience as a result of having access to this Spirit here and now? Well, for one, the Spirit uh, Spirit mediates the life of God to us. This is to say He mediates the eternal life of God to us. Uh, Specifically, when the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ, He unites us to the one in whom there is life in whom there is eternal life. And so we gain access to that eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us anybody that believes in him has eternal life now. Now. There's not a sense in which you are waiting to receive eternal life. You have that now if you believe in Jesus Christ. You have passed from death into eternal life. Passed from death into eternal life. And even though you die if you believe in Jesus now, you will never die. That is, you can take comfort in knowing that if you are believing in Jesus now, eternity is yours. Eternity is yours. You have been promised life in the presence of God forevermore. Next, in the middle of the city, along the river, we have the tree of life. And we see that in one, uh, well, in I guess it's in the latter part of two, Uh Let's read 1 and 2 again. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now in the old Garden of Eden, you had the same thing, right? Adam and Eve had access to this tree of life. And it is from that tree that they were given life by God. God this is to say God mediated the life that he was giving to Adam and Eve uh, to them through that tree. Uh, one thing that we must understand about this tree is that it has always been representative of life, the source of life in all things, Jesus Christ. This is to say that God was mediating the life to Adam and Eve through Jesus Christ when they ate from the tree, right? When they ate from the tree, God gave the life that is in Jesus Christ to them. Again, right here in the middle of the eternal garden city is a tree or a type of tree which represents the life that God mediates to us through Jesus Christ. Again, it is representative of the life that he gives us. It's on both sides of the river. It yields its fruit, 12 kinds each month, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. So, what are we to make of this? Well, the tree produces its fruit each month. Is there time in eternity? <laughs> are there going to be months in eternity? Well, no. Again, this is symbolic, but there are twelve fruits on the tree, which present, uh, which tells us that there is fruit uh, on the tree enough to support us for twelve months, which is through the entire year. In other words, God is, in other words, God is able to sustain His people year round from. Uh, this tree. In other words, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sins, was hung on a tree. and from that tree, his blood flowed to us, and from that blood we receive the forgiveness of our sins forevermore. And friends, you can have that forgiveness now. The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, you, for, you receive forgiveness now. You have been given access uh, to forgiveness. You have uh, forgiveness in Christ if you come to him and lay hold of him by faith. <clears throat> You've been given the uh, forgiving grace of God through Jesus Christ, the tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life. And every time that we commune with God here at His table, God mediates this grace and life to us that is found in Jesus Christ when we eat the bread and when we drink the wine. That is one of the primary means that God gives it to us. And that's why it is important that we commune with Him on a regular basis. Um, Moreover, uh, our ministries, when uh, when we are saved and forgiven, become life-giving food to the entire world. That is, the things that we do in Jesus Christ become spiritual food to the world. Spiritual food that will nourish their souls eternally if they, they take it and eat it. They're given access to that tree through our ministry. And whether that be through handing somebody food at the food pantry or, or praying for them or counseling them or preaching to them or discipling them or whatever... Uh, we are giving them or offering them access to Jesus Christ, the tree of life who sustains our soul eternally. So that is the tree of life. Now, the last feature of the Garden City that I want to mention is the fact that the whole thing is like a temple. It's like a temple. There's no longer a temple in it because uh, God is the temple, and since God is there, the whole thing is like a big temple where God dwells with his people and they with him, worshiping him and reigning with him in the new heavens and the new earth forevermore. The whole thing is like a temple and therefore the whole thing is holy. The whole thing is holy. Uh, Let's see what that's going to look like in in verses 3 and 4. No longer will there be any accursed, anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now let's unpack this a bit. First, it says that there is going to be no accursed thing there. And then in verse 5, it says that there is no longer light, or no longer night. And so what is this referring to? Well, the fact that the blackness of sin uh, and the darkness of the curse have been abolished in the new creation. There will be no wicked men in uh, in the eternal garden city. They will be consigned to a place of torment and destruction outside the walls of the city. There will be no wicked men there. Moreover, the curse of sin and death that has plagued mankind ever since the fall will be no more. It will not be present in the eternal city. So there will not be decay and breakdown and corruption in The eternal garden city. Everything will be renovated and renewed and it will flourish forever. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more want. Everything that you could ever want will be fulfilled for you in Jesus Christ. There will be no more death uh, in the eternal garden city. There will be no more sin. People will no longer sin in glory will not be possible for you to sin anymore. You will have been glorified and made perfect and holy. Even our bodies will have been made new at this point. We will receive glorified, resurrected bodies that are fit for eternity in which we will worship and serve God forever. So this is sort of what it looks like. There's no accursed thing there. The curse has been removed. Uh, Two other things to point out about life in the Eternal Garden City is that one, it is priestly, and two, we will see God face to face. So two more things. One, it is priestly. Two, we will see God face to face. It is said that the throne of God and the Lamb is there and that his servants worship him. His servants worship him. And if you think about the old Garden of Eden situation, we said in our sermon there that Adam was in a temple with God, the place that he worshiped and had fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden. Eden. And the work that uh, Adam did there was priestly. He was to guard and to keep. We read that this morning. Those terms guard and keep are referring to priestly functions throughout the rest of scripture. And here we see it again. In the new garden of Eden, his servants worship him. By the way, did you know there's going to be worship in glory? There's going to be worship in eternity. And the word, uh, the word there for uh, worship is where we get our word liturgy from means to, to, uh, here in this context, to worship and to serve. And so, in the Eternal Garden City, his people will be occupied with worship. By the way, if you don't like worship, if you are not enjoying coming together with God's people to worship now, you won't like it then. (laughs) And most likely, you won't be there then. So... Worship is primary in the sense uh, in eternity. It is the centerpiece of eternity. What we do now on a Sunday morning is only the beginning of what we will do for all of eternity. This is just the beginnings of it. Also, too, we see that the uh, face of God in the Eternal Garden City, uh, we see God face to face and his name is written on our foreheads. So we see him face to face Nobody's ever done this before throughout the scriptures, right? Nobody sees God face to face. We will see God face to face in the eternal garden city, and his name is written on our foreheads. Uh, the high priest in the Old Testament had the name of God written on his headgear, but all, uh, and, and it was just one person who had it written there. Um, maybe the other priest did too. I'd have to go back and check that. But it's all the people of God here have his name written on their foreheads, which says something about the permanence of our priesthood. Right? It's, it's on their foreheads. It's not just written on uh, their, um, their garments or something like this. Um, moreover, only the priest, the high priest in the Old Testament, went into the presence of God once a year. Right, uh, The presence of God was found at that time. It was located at that time in a special way uh in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest, one man once a year, was allowed to go in there and have access when he offered up the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But in the eternal garden city, all of us will have access to God, and not just one day, forever. <laughs> all the time. Um, in the Old Testament and in the Old Covenant there was a barrier between the people and God, but in eternity there is no longer a barrier. That barrier has been removed in Jesus Christ. Remember, the people saw God and they saw Jesus in very veiled ways. They saw him underneath the sacrifice. They saw him in the glory cloud. And even the high priest, when he went into the presence of God on the Day of Atonement, he had to throw some incense on the altar to veil his face, to hide his face from the presence of God. But in eternity, we will see God face to face, face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. Fellowship has been restored at this point fully, and we are now directly in the presence of God worshiping him. So another glimpse of glory. Uh, Verse 5, we'll finish here. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, Now, uh, here and in other places, it makes it seem like there's not going to be a sun or moon or stars or sky or anything like this in the eternal garden situation. But one thing we must remember is that all of this takes place inside of a new heavens and a new earth. A new heavens and a new earth that is not totally unlike what we are used to now. So when it says that there is going to be no more sun, it's to be understood symbolically for the fact that God is there, and he outshines and he outsources these other things. We no longer need the sun because God is there. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not there, okay? It says there's no longer need for sun, but God is there, and He is our light, right? In the eternal state. <clears throat> God is going to be our light. In other words, God is going to be our source of blessing. In the Arianic blessing that we pronounce at the end of our service every week, we pray for what? We pray for God to lift up His countenance upon our faces. Why? Because we want to stand in the light of God, we want the light of God's. Shining on us. Why? Because when we stand directly in the light of God, we are standing in his blessing. We are standing in his favor. We are standing in his peace. And so we want the light of God to shine upon us. And in eternity, this will be an ever present reality. (laughs) An ever present reality. The light of God will forever directly shine upon us. He will forever be our source of eternal blessing and eternal Peace. Okay? Now, is there a sense in which we experience all of these things that I've just mentioned here and now, are we now priests in the house of God? Do we now have direct access to God? Has the curse of sin and death in the world been removed for those of us who have come into uh, the church? Do we have direct access into the presence of God now and does he directly put his blessing upon our lives? Well yes, he does. Yes, indeed. He does. You better believe it. First, we have been made his priest. We have been made his priest. All of us are priests now. By the way, if you didn't know that, we're all priests in the new covenant. If you read Peter, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, listen to this, he he talks about us like we're a house, like we're actually a temple. The people of God are a temple. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So we're a house, we're a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And every time we gather together uh, in the church to worship and to serve him, we're gathering together in his house to worship and to serve him. Right here and right now, we are given access into the presence of God as his priest. And we meet with him in a very special way when we come in here to worship him on Sunday morning. And what does he do when, he, when we come in here? He puts his blessing upon us. God puts his blessing upon us so that we can go out there in the world and become a blessing to other people. We have become the vehicle of God's blessing to the entire world, the vehicle of his redemption to which he brings salvation to the world now. Right? Right now. And God, when we come in here, uh, he gives us his peace. He gives us his blessing. He gives us his favor. He gives us his grace. And then he sends us back out into the world to spread it around right now. So we're his priests now. When we come to the church, we also come to the place where the curse has been removed. Where the curse has been removed. This is the place where you will experience victory over your sin in the world. This is the place where you are made into a new person, a person very much unlike the person that you used to be. Uh, you will not be the same person that you once were if you come into the church and Jesus Christ gets a hold of you. He will transform you now and you will not live the way that you used to live and you will not do the things that you used to do. You are being made new now. God is making all things new in your life, and you can experience that now. You can experience that right now when you come into the church. He'll do that for you. He'll renovate your life completely. Just as an aside, and Jim mentioned this in our service planning meeting last week, and I thought it was a, a really good point. It's something interesting. It's um, it's really a blessing to think about, uh, the fact that Uh, we get a glimpse and a foretaste of the fellowship that we will share in eternity now in the church. The fellowship that we will have then, we get a glimpse of the perfect harmony, unity, and peace that we will experience in fellowship with one another throughout all of eternity. When you come into the church, you come into a place where where you're going to meet people who have new hearts that are going to love you for who you are and not what you have to offer. That is where you're coming when you come into the church, a place where people will love you for who you are and not what you have to offer, and you will not find that in the world. You will not find that anywhere else that you look out there in the world. You will only find that in the church where you have redeemed people. Um, So the church is sort of a, a glimpse or a foretaste of what society is really supposed to be like. It's what it's meant to be like, and you get to experience that now when you come into the church. It's the way it's supposed to be in a church anyway. Um, Finally, every week when you come here, you are given direct access into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And he puts his blessing upon your life and that is going to change you and transform you every day from now until eternity. He puts his blessing upon your life and it changes you. When you come into the presence of God, he convicts you of your sin. Has anybody been convicted as of lately? When you come into the presence of God, sometimes you feel guilty. Sometimes he will make you to feel bad about the things that you have done. And guess what? That is a good thing. That is a grace of God to you. It is better that God convicts you of your sin now and you repent of it now than on the day of judgment when it will be too late. There will be no time left to repent on that day. So when you come into the presence of God now and he convicts you of your sin, that is a grace of God to you in your life. It is a good thing that he convicts you and he makes you feel bad and guilty and ashamed of the things you've done so that you repent, that you don't continue on in those things right on into hell. So that is a grace that God gives to us now in the church because we're given direct access into his presence. He convicts us now so we don't do the things we used to do, so that we don't live the way that we used to live, so that we don't have to constantly experience the pain and defeat of living a life that is contrary to God. Uh, when you come into the presence of God, he renews your mind now. He gives you new desires now, new longings, and you're giving, uh, being given a foretaste of what it's going to be like to be perfectly holy. And that is going to be a blessing on your life now. So, in the final analysis we are headed towards something glorious. Something that is much more glorious than we can ever imagine or even begin to put into words. But we are given a glimpse or a foretaste of that glory now in the church. We have been given eternal life. right? We've been given the forgiveness of sins. We have entered into the presence of God. And we have only begun... Only begun to experience the goodness of each one of these blessings. So let the fact that these things are yours in Christ transform your life now.